Guess who's back, Smarties? We are so thrilled to welcome back Penny Williams to the podcast. We adore her, and she is a parenting coach. And if you haven't had the opportunity to go back and listen to her amazing episode, we had her for episode 91, which was called Raising Complex Children with ADHD Autism Coach Penny Williams. She is an author, she is a coach, and we adore her. Today, we invited her on as sort of a retrospective on her parenting journey. She talks about what she wishes she knew, how she didn't know what she didn't know, and how the grass isn't always greener. These lessons are so meaningful, especially as she talks about the work she's done on her own self and her own mindset to become the parent that she really wants to be. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. I'm Rachel Cap, and I co-host this podcast with Stephanie Pitts. We are both educational therapists in Southern California. Stephanie has My Ed Therapist, www.myedtherapist.com, where she and her team focus on all the things to support learners with diverse learning needs. And at my practice, CAP Educational Therapy Group, www.capedtherapy.com. We focus on students with ADHD and or executive functioning issues and all the other underlying things that go along with those two profiles. So we would be honored to get to work with you. Reach out to us, connect with us on our email list, which you can find at www.learnsmarterpodcast.com. In addition to all the old episodes that we have done, all the series that we have done, we're really proud of the website. So go check it out. Now let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer you have to learn smarter the educational therapy podcast hi smarties welcome to episode 155 of learn smarter the educational therapy podcast i'm stephanie pitts and i'm rachel cap and today we are so excited to have penny williams back on the pod with us hi penny hey guys i love being here always fun love having you we love having you We could talk for hours. (laughs) Yeah, we could. Yep, for sure. (laughs) One of the reasons that it's so nice to have you on the podcast is, number one, your voice is so calming. I love it so much. Oh, thank you. And number two, so many people are experiencing the same thing. And you putting yourself out there and your journey is really helpful to a lot of people. So Can you remind everybody who hasn't listened to episode 91? I will put that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Remind everyone who you are and what you do. So I am a parenting coach for families of kids with ADHD and or autism on the quote high functioning end, although I hate that term. And I completely fell backwards into this work by having a kid with ADHD and autism and learning disabilities and a high IQ, of course. Yeah. And so when he was diagnosed, it was 2008. The diagnosis for ADHD came first, and there was very little information for parents online. There was Attitude Magazine. There were some books by Hallowell and Barkley, but there really was not any sort of guidance. Like the developmental pediatrician said right there in the meeting, oh, it's ADHD. Here's literally four one-page fact sheets and here's a prescription. See you in three months. I'm like, wow, what am I supposed to do? Like he was struggling so much already by then. It was November of first grade. 
kindergarten had been an absolute nightmare and we changed schools and we had this awesome teacher and it was still really bad. And so we knew there had to be something going on. And Mm. so we had no guidance. Like, how do we turn this around for him? He was crying all the time. Mm. He was in trouble all the time. Like, it was just really sad. And I wanted so desperately, of course, to fix it for him, you know, to help him and started really diving in. I was really that desperate mom. I neglected the work I was doing at the time. I neglected cleaning the house and just spent all of my time that I could trying to figure this kid out and how to help him. And I started blogging actually before his diagnosis because ADHD didn't fit to me. I didn't think because he could focus on some things, which is of course that whole public myth that isn't true. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know any better. And so I was really blindsided by ADHD and I really just didn't know what to do and how to help. And I had actually started blogging before his appointment for the evaluation. I just thought, okay, I'm going to put what's going on out to the world. Somebody is going to find it and they're going to tell me what this is, which didn't happen, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I started talking about ADHD because now we have that diagnosis and that just bloomed into Facebook communities, into a mom retreat once a year, into books and online courses and coaching. It's just been this whole journey, which is really amazing, you know, that I was able to go down this path. And it was not something that I ever thought of, you know, I was a realtor before that. And I was in corporate communications before that, like it was not Mm. on my radar at all. And so it's really fascinating to me how much he's changed my life in a good way, right? Like there's been lots of struggles, but there's also a lot of things to be really, really grateful for by having a kid who's different, who shows us that the world doesn't have to be within the box. Yeah, It's colorful. It's fun. It can be wildly different than what we expect and that that's a good thing. It's totally okay. So that's how I ended up where I am and doing what I'm doing, just trying to help that awesome kiddo who's now 18 and just graduated from high school. Amazing. So we were so excited Mm -hmm. when we saw your post that he had graduated because that was a victory for you as much as it was for him. You guys figured it out together and we knew we wanted to have you back on the podcast and Steph and I were talking about like, what can we talk to Penny about? And I'm like, she has so much wisdom and so much experience. I want to hear what she would tell her former self. Mm -hmm. I want to hear what she wishes she had known, what she wishes she had implemented sooner. As Steph was saying before we hit record, the shoulda, woulda, couldas, that there was no way you would have known. But maybe sort of thinking back in that way could potentially help somebody else who's a little behind you in the process. Yeah, and I think that's an important caveat, what you said, that you couldn't have known. No. You know, there's so many things I look back on that I wish we had done differently, but they had been done with the best of intention and with what I knew at the time. Yeah. So I've really had to work on myself to be able to give myself grace and let go of some of that stuff. Because, you know, a lot of things I did with the best of intention worked out to be really horrible or traumatic because you just don't know. So I think that's a really good kind of starting point for this conversation. Yeah, I can look back and say, I wish I had done a lot of things differently, but I can't. 
And I have to know and lean on the fact that I did the best that I could with the knowledge that I had at that time. And the knowledge and expertise out there in the world 18 years ago or after his diagnosis 12 years ago is different than the knowledge now anyway. Mm -hmm. And so give yourself some grace. What we know now as a community is far different than what we knew 12 years ago as a community. So, you know, in your first book, especially when you're talking about the boy without instructions, so many parents relate. We're recording this during COVID and still it's navigating a time that's uncertain and we don't know what it looks like and how it's going to end up and the timeline and all of those things. I think people can relate and understand trying to figure out how to make it work and be a colorful kid in a square box. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And that's really the world that we are living in. You know, a lot of my woulda, shoulda, couldas do revolve around school. Yeah. And there just wasn't a good fit for him. So the first one I would really talk about is that the grass isn't always greener. Mm -hmm. And I would say most of the time the grass isn't greener. It's just different. We tried several different schools thinking that they would be the one, right, that would finally help him do well at school. And they were always the worst experiences we've ever had, every time. Oh, worse and worse and worse. Yeah. So, Mm. you know, while something maybe sounds better on paper or, you know, seems to be a better fit, it really comes down to your individual child and those individual people that are going to be part of their life in that environment. So for instance, in third grade, he finally got an IEP. I felt like the school just was not listening to what he really needed. They wanted to go through their standard process for every kid, right? And so he has dysgraphia. His writing was really bad. Mm. We'd already tried so many like occupational therapy tools. We'd done a year with with um, handwriting without tears in private OT. Mm -hmm. And so we had already on our own eliminated a lot of that starting stuff. They didn't care. They had to start at the beginning. And so I just felt like we were wasting so much time where he wasn't learning. He wasn't succeeding. Mm. And so I looked for another school and found this really tiny private school here which we had no idea how in the world we'd figure out how to pay for. But I felt so strongly that's where he needed to be. It was hands-on, small classes, two adults per like 10 kids, science-oriented, which he loved. I'm like, okay, this is it. This is the thing, right? That's going to make it so much better for him. And in less than two months, we were asked to leave Mm. because they felt like it wasn't fair to have to give him more of their attention even though there were two adults for 10 kids. Yeah. So while it looked like the best fit ever, and we did enormous due diligence, I sent them every evaluation, every IEP document, every 504 document. You know, I sent them like a two inch stack of paper on this kid. He came and he sat in the class a couple hours one day. You know, we did so many things to know that it was the right thing and it still turned out to be the wrong thing. And he loved it there. He was absolutely devastated, devastated, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that's so hard as a parent. Like I made that choice. You feel like you've caused it. 
And back then I, I had not done the work for myself yet. And so I really was sinking into that. I did this to him. This is my fault. And now I can see that, you know, it wasn't, and it really was the fault of the school, honestly. Yeah. I'll never forget the meeting that we had where they were asking us to leave. Of course, I was angry and upset. So I was crying, ugly cry. And mm -hmm. they handed me a roll of one ply toilet paper. And I thought, wow, this is just exactly what this is right now. Yeah. No tissues. No, they handed me a roll of toilet paper. It's like, you know, the crazy stories I could tell over the years. But, you know, I had to step back and say, okay, I tried. Yeah. But really, a private school without any acknowledgement or any special instruction or help for special needs was not a good fit. We really needed to be in the public system for him to get any sort of accommodation and stuff. And so we tried it again with a charter school for sixth grade, and that was even worse. And so we pulled him out of there. And I said, after that, we're never trying another school again. I have to accept that public school in the town where we are is the best fit for him because we don't have any alternative schools for learning disabilities here at all. Yeah. So sometimes you look back and you think, well, gosh, I wish I had known how bad that was going to be. I wouldn't have done it. Well, how could I have known, right? We have to give ourselves that grace as parents to really know that you did the best you could, but also, you know, really think about, is that grass over there any greener? <laughs> is it any more well cared for than where you are? Mm -hmm. And it's easy to talk yourself into the fact that it is. But so often, I mean, anything in life, we think something is going to be better. And, and it's not necessarily. <laughs> so that's a big lesson for me in that sort of desperation to find a great school for him where he could feel good about himself and feel like he was achieving. And it just never happened. It just didn't exist here. And he's had some great teachers and he's had moments, you know, where he did well or felt capable, but for the most part, he really didn't. And it's such a shame, you know, it's something that of course, I had 8,000 emails and several hundred meetings over the years, and I really pushed and did everything I could. And he just wasn't understood, you know, yeah. with twice exceptional, a lot of our educational communities doesn't understand. You can be wicked smart and also really struggle with school, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. that was something that I think we really battled against a lot over that time. It's just unfortunate. Mm -hmm. And it's such a common story. Mm -hmm. You're talking about the grass is not always greener. The hopefulness every time that you emotionally invested in another school and tried to get him psyched up too, because you had to get his buy-in. We think we figured it out and then it's not work out. It's just, it's crushing each time. It really is. The second school experience, he started self-harming at school. He had never self-harmed and he has never in the six years since. It was just that environment. It was that environment that didn't understand him and kept pushing him. You know, one thing they did was when he had a good handwriting day, because every now and then with dysgraphia, your brain is just firing on all cylinders and maybe you're super interested in what you're doing and your writing is much more clear. And they held that piece of paper, that one assignment in a filing cabinet 
And every day when his writing didn't meet that standard, they pulled it out and said, you're going to continue to do this until it looks like this piece of paper. Because you did this before, we know you can do it. So punitive. It really is. Horrible. It's horrible. And I really, he wasn't yet really expressive about what was going on. Right. You know, I was seeing him fall apart. I was seeing his anxiety, but he wasn't really telling me fully what was happening. And so I couldn't really get to the bottom of it. You know, I was like, I'm struggling here to understand what's going on. It's really funny, actually, this was a new charter school. So this was their first year. Mm. After we had gone through the lottery, we got him in, we were like a week away from starting the school year. The teacher that he had had at that private school was hired as the curriculum director. Mm. And I should have known, right? known then for sure but you give people the benefit of the doubt that maybe they've learned and changed but no they haven't anyway it's so hard because you just can't know no there is no magic ball you just cannot know and you have to make the best educated guess part of that is I really had to work on my mindset I had to accept that nothing will be perfect he is never going to go to a school and be willing and excited about it every day and get straight A's. He's not that kid, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Even a school that was perfectly designed for him, a school for twice exceptional kids, like I know there you have Bridges, I think it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even then he would struggle sometimes. Of course, that would have been a far better environment for him, but we don't have that here. But yeah, like you just really have to accept that nothing is going to be like they don't have a disability. And we start there as parents. We just want to fix it. So we're going to make it like they don't have a disability. Well, that isn't possible. It just isn't possible. I'm reminded of a story from one of those third grade IEP meetings, actually. His teacher finally looked at me because I kept pushing and saying, you know, we've tried these things. We know they don't work. Move on to the next thing. And I was calling a meeting like every two or three weeks. They were completely exasperated with me. But I was like, I'm just going to keep pushing you. You can't tell me no to an IEP meeting. So I'm just going to keep pushing you until you listen, right? And, And his teacher looked at me and she said, you need to accept that this kid is always going to have struggles. Hmm. And I burst into tears and left the room. Hmm. I wasn't ready to hear it. And I wasn't ready to hear it for years after that. I was mad at her for years. And then did all this work on my mindset and acceptance and understanding that everyone's life has struggle. And now I look back and I go, wow, she was totally right. And she had a kid with cerebral palsy, like she was living something sort of similar as well. She really knew whereof she spoke. Her delivery sucked. She was not, you know, the most kind about it. And I just, I couldn't hear it yet. I wasn't there. Yeah. And I wish that I would have heard her way back then, or I wish that I would have heard that even sooner. You know, I wish that I was able to really hear what she was saying and walk forward with it, but I wasn't. And how could I have been? Yeah. You're in the place in the journey that you're in. So there really wasn't any changing that, but that's definitely one of the things like, I wish somebody could have gotten that through to me so much sooner, or I wish I had done the work on myself and my own mindset years before I did. Like that's only been in the last four years because I remember I started 
by binging a bunch of self-help podcasts, driving over to visit my daughter in college, her freshman year, and she's in her fourth year. So four years out of 12 and a half. Mm -hmm. So I wish I would have recognized that sooner and, and really done that work for myself sooner because it made such a difference for the whole family. And an example right there of you got to take care of yourself. You do. Your own mental and emotional health. You have a kid with disabilities. You can resist that your child struggles. You can resist that this is your life that doesn't look like your nieces and nephews are getting straight A's and your kid is barely getting by. Or we resist all of those things because we have this idea that every kid should fit in this box. Every family should, you know, have this picture perfect life. Well, that doesn't exist for anybody. Mm -mm. And when we realize that, It is absolutely liberating. Oh, yeah. And you could feel it in our whole family, our whole house. It was like a huge sigh of relief. And it's not your fault. Yeah. I didn't do this. Yeah, I used to think, oh, I was induced. And sometimes they think ADHD is related to long on Pitocin. And then I was like, you know, his birth was long. So maybe he wasn't breathing and and I begged to be induced. I was so miserable with that kid. I can't even tell you. And from four weeks from my due date every week, I begged her with tears to make it end. (laughs) And she was like, he's not ready. He's not ready. And then finally at two weeks, my blood pressure was going up and things were, you know, becoming more obvious that we needed to get on with it. And so she induced, but it took 48 hours hours because he was not ready she was right you know and then I was like I did that teaching you lessons from that moment I'm telling you what (laughs) yeah if only I realized right he was telling you that he was telling me then he wasn't ready it was gonna be a struggle I didn't hear it yet it's hard to it's amazing so there was a lot of looking for what I did or looking back at my parenting and going Oh, I shouldn't have handled it that way. Like we struggled with some stuff that therapists and pediatricians were telling us was his choice, his will. And at one point we took away all of his toys at five years old. We took all the toys out of his room because we couldn't figure out how to get him to stop this behavior. And it was important and it didn't change it, made no effect on it, you know, for like a day, he was trying so hard. But then by day two, because it was out of his control, he was right back in this behavior. And I have really looked back at that and beat myself up sometimes. Like, how cruel was that? But I was doing what I was told to do by professionals in our life, right? And I didn't know. I didn't even know he had ADHD at that point. Like, we didn't know anything really that was going on. And so, We all have that stuff in our lives, even outside of being a parent, but we have to recognize again, I was doing the best that I could with the knowledge I had at that moment. I can't go back and change it and beating myself up about it is not going to change anything for the positive. So I'm not serving myself by looking back and really being upset with myself over things. I have to just accept and move on. And that's a long journey. You know, I talk about mindset so much with the parents that I work with, and it's really easy for me to say it. And people are like, but, you know, it's hard. It's not that easy. I can't just decide that. I'm like, no, you're not just deciding. You're putting in the work every day and you're doing it 
forever. Like it's almost like they would tell you, you don't diet, it's a lifestyle change. Like this is a change in the way that you move through the world and think about things and that you are continually checking in with yourself for your awareness and being mindful of things that are going on. And it makes such a difference in parenting, but in life in general too, you know, it's a big deal. I wish that I had known to kind of do this work for myself in my 20s or even 30s, but I waited until early 40s before I was like, I am fed up with being so negative and feeling like I can't be happy. And I always thought it was everyone else. Everybody who's happy, they have different life circumstances or a different personality or whatever. You know, it just wasn't in the cards for me, which was so stupid, but I lived there for so long. And being able to change that changed my parenting, changed my kid, changed, you know, everybody around me. And that's a really big deal. So yeah, I wish that I would have done it sooner. But again, what we can't change. But you did it. And that's Mm -hmm. the end beauty that you did. And then parenting doesn't stop at 18. No. Parenting doesn't stop at graduation. So what I'll add to this, yeah, there were all these years before, but you have far more years ahead of you to adjust. Oh, yeah. And live this way. Oh, yeah. I mean, right now, so he's graduated in January of 2021. So a few months ago when this airs, and it's currently March. So he is currently sleeping all day and gaming all night. And we don't really have a plan because of COVID. It's kind of derailed some of the plans that we've had to have him get a job and start taking more steps toward adulthood and learning those skills that we've just had to put off. But my mom of a third grader would have been freaking out right now, freaking out about it, right? Back then, nine, 10 years ago, I would just be thinking this was the end of the world, but I'm not. I'm like, you know, he had 13 years of trauma and he heal and he needs to figure out what his next steps are. And he's developmentally delayed. So while he's 18, he's really, you know, honestly, he's 14 or 15 in a lot of ways. And in some ways, maybe even a little bit behind that. And that makes a big difference in the way that I view what we're currently going through and what he needs, right? Understanding all of that. But yeah, my former self would be just thinking it was the end of the world. He's going to live with me forever. I'm going to have to go find a house with a basement. What am I going to do when I die? Like I would have gone full board down that. (laughs) The worst possible outcome. That's what's going to happen. And that's what we are as parents. Like we want to prepare our kids so badly. We want them to be happy so badly that that's what we think about. And we think so far into the future And we don't know what 10 years from now is going to look like. We don't know what it's going to look like in the world in the sense of COVID and like any of it. We change. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. I can't know what my son is supposed to be doing in 10 years or what he will be. It's a journey and we have to figure that out and we have to be okay with it. Yeah. And even so, like you said, you were a real estate agent, like you wouldn't have guess that your path would be here. Exactly. I have a sociology degree. I've never worked in sociology. (laughs) So do I. And (laughs) it's actually sort of coming back around now because I do look at some of the social skill stuff and some of that stuff through kind of this sociological lens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my dad still talks about paying for a sociology degree. (laughs) 
<laughs> but you know what? It's helping you in ways that you didn't know. Right. And, you know, so I graduated with a sociology degree and I was temping for a few years. I had no career. I was just taking temp jobs, which actually then I fell backwards into a permanent position in a temp job doing corporate communications. And I loved it and I was good at it. And I rode that train for a while until I wanted to move to a different state to be closer to my parents. And then I had to give that up and reinvent myself because I moved to a small town. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do here? And then, you know, that took a lot of time. And the older Luke was getting, the more I really needed to be at home with him in the afternoons. I needed to be able to give more to him and work less hours. And so it just sort of evolved where I started doing work with other parents and less of the other. And and now I'm full time really in helping other parents. So it's amazing. Yeah, it's totally the journey. It really is. And I have a question sort of about where he's at emotionally and just understanding sort of like his own journey. Just curious now that he's 18. Do you think that he has a sense that even though he's physically 18, he's not ready to be? Yes. Yeah. Do you think he knows? It was funny a few months ago, like right after he turned 18, I think it was. I don't remember what we were talking about, but I made the joke and I said, or more like 15. And he just laughed and he said, you're right, mom. You're totally right. Wow. He knows he's not ready for a lot of things. We were talking about before we started recording that he's wanting to sort of explore voice acting. And I found this online course that starts in a few weeks and we kept talking about it and it was really what he's so interested in. And I said, you know, I've got to save your spot or it's not going to be there. And finally he said, I'm just not ready for that. That feels a lot like school again. And I'm just not ready yet. And I said, okay, thank you for telling me that. Because a lot of times he will just avoid, he doesn't like to talk about feelings. And I think part of it is he he feels like he's disappointing us. And so he'll hold that kind of thing back. And so I made a really big deal. I'm like, this is amazing that you told me that because I totally get it. And now I'm going to honor that. And I'm going to let this company know that maybe we would like to take the course the next time they offer it after. And they'll let us know when that is. And then you can decide if you're ready for it then. So that's really important. I think that he really has that recognition. So important. And that safety to know that if I say it, it may feel scary, but look, I was heard. Yeah, totally. And he definitely lacks some confidence and competence. He did not feel like he was capable in school. And that is definitely carrying over. It's something that we've tried so hard outside of school to combat and it just didn't work. And I honestly really coddled him and did too much for him in regard to school just to get through it. And I think what happened is I accidentally, completely inadvertently sent him the message that I didn't think he was capable of doing it either, that I didn't think he could do it on his own. And he kept saying, I have to learn how to do things on my own. I'm like, but every time I let you, then you don't, which is true. You know, he wasn't succeeding on his own. And I wish that I had just completely taken my hands off and let him do what he could do and see what he could do and what would happen with the amount of effort that he would make on his own, like in ninth grade. 
but I didn't. And I didn't see that I should have done it until 12th grade. So, you know, at that point, we were a few months from graduating and it just would not have served us at that point, especially in the midst of COVID and online learning has not worked for him at all. It's been really hard. He cannot focus on like an online lecture and stuff. And so I knew that it would not have been the lesson learned that we needed at that point. So I definitely wish that I would have done that sooner. I didn't do it at all. But that really has created some of where we are now. Some of the, you know, I'm not putting myself out there. Yes, he needs time. He needs to heal. He needs to figure out, you know, what is really going to motivate him to step forward. And he needs for COVID to be less of an issue because he has a lot of anxiety around it. But I think that maybe he would have been more prepared for that had we taken that journey a little differently. But again, I didn't know in ninth grade. I didn't know that this was really what I was going to need to do. I kept thinking that if I worked hard enough with the school, we would finally get to a place where he would be able to succeed on his own doing it, you know, with the accommodations and stuff, but without me really micromanaging. And yeah, his whole last semester, senior year, I didn't do it myself, but almost. There's my confession for your episode. I almost completely did it for him, I have to admit. And I knew that I was doing it and it felt so necessary for everyone, even my own emotional health. Like we could not drag this trauma of school out any longer. We just had to get to the end and school was deteriorating for him because of COVID and because it was all online, like it was even harder. So dragging that out another year or two wasn't going to necessarily be helpful. Like we didn't know what that was going to look like when they started doing virtual learning a year ago. We thought, oh, in a few months, we'll be back to normal. Well, that didn't happen, right? So Right, right. So yeah, that's my current, like, I wish I would have done that differently is kind of really stepping back. And if he failed, he failed. And then, you know, letting him learn what he needed to learn from that and figuring out how to support him going forward from there. That would have been a good lesson for him to walk through. You're teaching it to him now. We're just going to do it differently. Yeah. And that's okay. A hundred percent. Penny, I am in awe of you. You are a tremendous force. And I think a lot of people need to hear what you have to say because you're right. It'll be okay. Yeah. And just because your journey wasn't what you thought it was going to be and wasn't a straight line doesn't mean that even now at 18, it's not over. It just looks different. And you're such a good mom. And thank you for putting yourself out there because everybody needs to hear. Oh, thank you. You're really touching a lot of people. We see clients all the time and parents are so worried and go down that road and what's going to happen? What if, what if, what if, what if? And it's just like you said, all you do is the best you can with the knowledge you have at this moment. And that's all you're doing right now for the future. So just like you said, him sleeping all day and playing video games all night right now, you're doing the best you can with that information and letting him heal. And what the next chapter and next, you know, post COVID and all of that looks like, you can't predict. It's going to be exciting though. Yeah. 
once he heals from that trauma and does really like figure out what he wants to do and how he's going to do it, it's going to be phenomenal for him. Yep. He has great things in him. I know. I can see them. Oh, yeah. And having that faith is so important when things are not going the way we thought they would or things are a struggle, you know, knowing that, okay, well, today it's hard, but in the future, I see that there will be lots of goodness and lots of joy. Yeah. He'll get there. He will. He'll get there. That's the beauty of it. Well, how can people connect with you, Penny, if they're interested in coaching with you or listening to your podcast, all the things? Yeah. So the easiest thing to do is to go to parentingadhdandautism.com and there's links to all the things there. So the podcast is Parenting ADHD Podcast. The courses are now actually hosted on the Behavior Revolution, which is a new project that I have with Sarah Wayland of Guiding Exceptional Parents. And we're putting together a behavior course. And we're also doing a parenting kind of get together two times a month called the Parenting Collaborative to just support other parents and let them know that they're not alone, like we've been talking about, like the struggle is real and we all have it. And that's been really exciting. So all the courses are there. Our summits are coming up in October this year. And we have past summit expert sessions there as well. The Happy Mama Retreat has not happened in a while because COVID, but it looks like it will be in September this year. And that's just moms of kids with kind of what we call invisible differences or disabilities, ADHD, autism, anxiety, bipolar, ODD, learning disabilities, that sort of stuff. So the books are there too. Yeah. Love all the things. Why do I have to do all (laughs) the things? (laughs) Because you're talented. Because I'm crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Because you can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're so grateful that you took the time to yes think through this question when we asked you and to be so thoughtful and vulnerable in everything that you've shared. I think it's going to be really powerful for our audience to hear that perspective. Mm-hmm. We don't often on our podcast get to talk about hindsight and how we feel about what sort of happened. We're all about like, what can we do mm-hmm. right now? So I love that we were able to do this retrospective almost with you on everything because It's important to be reflective about where you've been so you can plan where you want to go. Exactly. And so you can give yourself a little pat on the back. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm really proud of myself for changing my mindset and doing better and letting things go and being okay with a kid who's not going to take that traditional four-year college journey. That's a big deal. Yeah. And to be able to look back and go, wow, all these things happened, but look at where we are now. Yep. It makes, I think, where you are now even sweeter when you're able to do yes. and do it with grace. Yeah. If you're doing it and you're beating yourself up, it's not helpful. <laughs> Thank you, Penny. Thank you. We adore you, you. Yes, we do. Back at you. Sign off for our audience and say, have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week. <laughs>